Welcome to the teaching ministry of Reverend JFK Mensah, a seasoned Bible teacher with over 40 years of ministry experience. He is a pastor, a church planter, a missionary, and an international conference speaker. He is passionate about making Christ-like disciples worldwide. JFK Mensah is the General Overseer of Great Commission Church International. May you be transformed as you listen to the Word of God. Father, we thank you again for this session. Apart from you, we can do nothing. Holy Spirit, we are trusting your grace once again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Last week, I mentioned that 90 to 95% of the challenges leading to divorce can be taken care of before the marriage. There are times when we marry and we are not sure the person is born again. It is critical to make sure that you are marrying someone who is born again. Because when you enter the marriage with somebody who is not born again, it will be too late to undo the damage. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the human heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, beyond cure. Who can know it? So, the typical unbeliever, the unborn again person, is spiritually dead. That's what Ephesians 2, 1 says and an enemy of God. That's what Romans 5.10 says. And Romans 8.5-7 says, they find it impossible to submit to God. Now, if you marry somebody who is not born again or carnal in your haste to get married, the challenges of that marriage should not surprise us if they lead to divorce. And yet, another thing is within the context of the Christian marriage, Ephesians 5.22 and 23 says, Wives, Submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Ephesians 5, 25 to 27 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Ephesians 5, 33. It says, Every woman should see to it that she respects 
the husband and every man that he loves the wife. Don't marry any man you cannot respect if you are a woman. The marriage will be full of frustration and heartache. And if you are a man, never marry a woman you cannot love despite her weaknesses. You see? Because the man is imperfect, the woman is imperfect at marriage. So, two imperfect people marrying each other stresses Strains, challenges enter when you marry that expose your weaknesses and you see your character beginning to crack before you. And once that happens, it doesn't take a long time before the battles begin. Then, one thing I did not mention last week is marriages where uh, the spouses, they either vow to each other or promise each other that nobody will come in between us. Our matters should not go out. <clears throat> Don't tell anybody about what's happening. So the man begins to abuse the woman, slap her, kick her around the house. She can't tell anybody because she's afraid that the man made her swear that the day you carry my matter out, the marriage is ended. So the woman lives in perpetual fear that nobody should hear. Sometimes it's the other way around also. I have a lot of these stories. There was a case where the husband stabbed his wife as a way of getting rid of her. You know, and it's a Christian marriage. Unfortunately for us, we were living in a Muslim nation, an Islamic nation. And they all said, well, Christians, you look. We Muslims, we allow you to marry more than one. And you Christians say one man, one wife, and you don't like your spouse. Look at how you stab her to death. Is that the better way? And we Christians were also ashamed. We had no answer for them. So I want Mrs. Mensah to continue and talk about some of the things which make a husband and a wife. You just cannot stay together for too long because the marriage is already showing signs of cracking. I must admit that the reasons for divorce in today's Christian marriages, there are so many that it's even difficult to categorize them. But one can generally say that the root of it all is lack of fear for God. Lack of fear for God on part of both the man and woman. He has already talked about the, the need that people should be really born again, truly born again. 
But there are people who have accepted Jesus as Lord and personal Savior, been baptized by mission speaking in tongues, but their character is so very bad. There are pillars and issues in marriage. Uh, we don't have all the time to go into all of that. When you are carnal, when you lack the basic fear of God, in fact, when I was growing up, even people who didn't know the Lord from all the Orthodox churches, once you took a woman to the altar, then there was no way of divorce. Whether the marriage was blessed with a child or not, we all know today that if there's no seed, it's not necessarily the fault of the woman alone. But even those times, no matter what trying things, it at the root of the marriage. Once you have been to the altar, people were afraid to divorce. Today, the story is something else. So if we would truly submit and yield ourselves to God and see that our marriage is bigger, the principle and the rationale behind it is bigger than we ourselves. As a matter of fact, your marriage, if handled well, can help you get to heaven successfully. Even if you are a poor candidate, so to speak, for getting to heaven. In the same way, your marriage can lead you, no bend, no care, to hell. This is what I have to say. The other issues are so many. But if we fear God, we will take time even to court. I keep saying that dating is alien to the spirit of the Bible. You take time to court, you get to align yourself with the person who is going to be your future spouse, your vision for the marriage, what is drawing you to her or him, things we need to change. At least you recognize them from afar without tasting the, the asana before going and unveil the person in public. The next question we have is, what's your advice on submission? Practical advice on submission. I think uh, this is a woman's question. Mm. When we talk about submission in marriage, unfortunately it's become a dirty word, a hated word, among particularly so-called emancipated women, career women, people who have been to school, uh, but it is the wisdom of God. Because whenever there is more than one entity, there necessarily must be a hierarchy. And submission, I don't believe it started with us human beings as people who marry. The Godhead, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Long before the foundation of time, Philippians chapter 2 from verse 5 all the way to 9, or you can take it further. Jesus, knowing that he is God, each of the Trinity is both God, both Lord, omniscient, all the attributes. But Jesus intentionally, deliberately emptied himself and arranged himself under God the Father. In the same way, the Holy Spirit does not say anything of his own. He takes from the Lord and First Corinthians chapter 2 from verse 10 going, you see that the Spirit is able to search even the deep things of God. Right from Genesis chapter 1 
when you, you start reading the Bible, the Spirit of the Lord precedes any operation. But they act in perfect unit. So, husband and wife, they work best if the man loves. And headship is not just a matter of monarch of all I survey. You just sit on a woman the way an elephant sits on a fly. You necessarily need as a man to look at how Jesus as a groom the husband of the church wills leadership. First Corinthians 11, 2 to 3, it talks about the fact that, yes, the man is the head of the woman, but Jesus is the head of the man, and God the Father is head of Jesus also. So, the Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 says, we should submit one to the other. Then from 22 to 33, it paints the beautiful picture of the church of God, how it to submit to the Lord in everything. And the Lord also, 25, 25 to 27, by the washing of the way. And of course, with love, does something until the blemishes on the church are removed and he presents the church to himself as a bride. So when we are talking about submission, we mean that a woman, you deliberately empower the other person by you yourself arranging yourself under the other person you believe has higher authority. In the police, in the military, they all do it. Even at our own workplaces, when you have an ordinate, a superior, even if you don't like the person, whether the person is man or woman, you know how to play your card so that professionally you take instruction. So in the same way, the Christian woman, it is God's wisdom, it's in your own interest. You make yourself more lovable. Now the man is supposed to exercise agape love, not just erotic love or filial love or stoge love. But agape love, which Holy Spirit sheds abroad in our hearts, the kind of love which can be commanded because even your enemies, Romans chapter 12, 17, 18, even your enemies, those who despitefully use you, you are supposed to pray for them, to rule your spirit, to exercise restraint. How much more somebody you fell in love with at one time, or at least you agreed to allow him to take you before the altar and you vow to each other and the person is your spouse. So, when you use wisdom and prayer and godly restraint, except of course in cases where he's asking you to do something which is ungodly, to tell lies, to condone and connive with evil. But you can pray, you can use wisdom. And even if the man is as foolish as number or as hard-hearted as anybody, you saw Esther, how she fasted, that threatening situation. And together with her mates and Esther chapter 4 from verse 14 onward, she ended by saying, if I perish, I perish. And the Spirit of God entered the matter. 
So the Holy Spirit means part of the threefold God when you enter marriage. The two human beings plus the Holy Spirit. I believe First Corinthians 10, 13 is true. There is no situation which can be so difficult that if you submit it prayerfully to the Lord for a long time and you ask the man to, to pray with you and you do your part, you submit, God will not help you out. He can do it. I talk about it because I went through it myself. When we first entered marriage, all of you who know me, just like Sarah is praised in the Bible as our mother, a meek and of quiet spirit. But she was nobody's doormat. She knew what it was to press home her point and make demands. But after going through life, one year, and I think a little bit more than a year, I saw it was not going to work. Then I intentionally decided that everything that Pastor Mensa told me, I would write down. Because some of the things, it wasn't because I was doing them out of spite or rebellion or I, I just forgot, plainly forgot. So I would write all the things down. And after doing my quiet time, I'll find time to read through those things too. And tried prayerfully as much as possible to satisfy him. And a time came, of course, he was also praying. When he saw that at least I was making the effort. And over time, I've earned his trust. Such that, honestly, I am quite spoiled, so to speak. But if you say that by all means it has to be this way and you are not going to cave in because you have your degree, he also has his and your pay packet is higher and this and that. There are so many things that we can look at. But when we come to God as Christians, this game of life is played not on our terms. No matter how wise or smart you think you are, we follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. That is submission, the godly way. Amen. I wanted to clear my truth, but she has taken the wind out of my sails. I generally counsel people entering into marriage that this submission has become so difficult for our educated women that they think if they meet Jesus himself, they will tell him a thing or two. Please, number one, no man sent a petition or an application letter to God to make him a man. We found ourselves men. Therefore, the submission anger should not be directed at us as if we are the ones who went and ployed with God to be allowed to be men. Number two, the command for wives to submit to their husbands did not originate with men. It originated from the divine wisdom, as uh, Mama Georgina is saying. So the person to really take up the issue with is God. 
Then number three, submission doesn't mean foolishness. It doesn't mean the woman should not be heard. It doesn't mean the woman doesn't think. It means that, yes, you are free to state your case, to raise your arguments, to make your point. But if after that, your husband decides, go with that decision, once it's not a sinful decision. And my final area there is, many times, the areas that men require submission are not areas that women easily understand why. Because the two sexes are different. We tick differently. And obedience makes a lot of difference, not only with us, but even with God himself. When Jesus was obedient to the point of death, God was so excited and he exalted him. So for a man to love a woman, certain dynamics come to play. And one of them is that the more submissive a woman is, the more lovable she is. Yes, we are commanded to love even if she is stubborn, difficult, unreasonable, and an opposition leader in the home. We are commanded to love her. But how many men can overcome that? Well, that's my little addition to to what my wife has been saying. Thank you. Thank you so much, Apostle. Our next question is, in instances where there are clear life-threatening abuse in the marriage, is it justifiable to seek divorce? What do you advise? And then, if you are in a marriage and the man is beating you, what do you do? If the church authority intervenes and it continues, what do you do? Last week, I explained that authorities do not exist for nothing. Therefore, if you are in an abusive marriage, you don't just decide to divorce. That's wrong. If you are in an abusive marriage, take the first step and report the person to somebody that your husband respects. I quoted Matthew 18, 15 to 18 last week. Then, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, everything can be resolved. And if there is understanding, then the case is closed. If there is no understanding, then the case must go to the church authorities. Now, when the church authorities come in, they are authorities. Therefore, it's like going to report an armed robber to the police. And then the police smile and say, oh, is that it? Oh, you continue under the threat of these armed robbers. It doesn't matter. No. The church authorities 
they come in and then they provide the answer. They tell whoever is abusing the other one that no, so far this, the matter has gone before witnesses. Now it has come to the church. Then it's supposed to be the last stop. If the abuse continues after that, then definitely it has to be taken one step higher. If it has to go to Waju, if it has to go to the courts, the police, the person abusing the other one must know that you are not a world uncaged lion. The abuse continues because no stringent steps are taken. And I mentioned last week that some women, they don't even want their husbands to know that they have reported an abuse to another person. How can we handle the case? You see, you don't want your husband to know that you have told us that he is abusing you. How can we handle the case? So please, these abuses will stop when they are taking the next step higher. Uh, please, uh, I feel compelled to add my views to this issue of abuse. Now, abuse is a general term, which could be anything. It could be hitting the other person, you know, battering, or it can be verbal abuse, insult using the mouth, in which case a woman too can do it to a man. And even the beating, these days, some of the women can do that to, to the men also, or they fight. And um, emotional abuse, it could take many different hues. But particularly men who hit, who fight their wives, you don't expect that after humiliating a woman that we're fighting somebody who is supposed to be your aide-de-camp for life, your suitable health mix for life, when you, you batter the person, you beat the person that way, you don't expect that same person uh, within the week or the end of the day to open up herself so that you lie with. I can't imagine. It's humiliation at its most profound level. It cannot be qualified with words. And for that matter, women also who throw things at their husband. I believe this is why we say before people enter marriages, you need to take steps to go through counseling very well. And that is the church. These days, a lot of Christians don't even go to the church. They go to professional counselors. Now, I want to tell you that guidance and counselling and professional counselling, psychological counselling, whatever, to a large extent these days, the way the whole world is reeling somewhere, a lot of it does not handle scriptural issues. So if you are a born-again Christian, yet you take your counselling to professional people, and the Bible is not consulted in counseling you or looking at character, judging character, you end up marrying an abuser. So at the time that a man is courting you or the woman is preparing to marry the man, there should be indications that, look, this man, when he's annoyed or this woman, 
when she's annoyed, she's capable of this and that. If you open your eyes wide, you are not in a rush to marry. When you pray hard, God will reveal it to you. If you fail that, then you have an uphill task ahead of you. In the context of the marriage. And I want to also seriously say that church authorities, when matters of abuse are brought to them, they would have to work on the things well. And if it's a character issue, they handle it well and help the people to reform. Of course, character is habit, which takes so many years to build. So it's not so easy to work on. But if it is not catered for well, before you know what, somebody is stabbing the other person. And I believe when the church authorities look at it, like uh, Pastor Menta said, you don't unilaterally take a decision by yourself. But then when there's a need for you to maybe take cover, at least so that the man knows that this is what he stands to lose. When you are not there, you know, he will um, think his steps. And then when there's a case of beating, ask yourself, what warranted, what called for it? Is it that you insulted him? Is it that you, 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 you refused to offer sex and when he was seated up? There are all kinds of unimaginable situations, you know. So if the fault is from you, do something about it. Thank you so much. From the few that we have um, gotten, we are being encouraged to watch our actions and reactions, even in the marriage, especially when it comes to the abuses. Mrs. Georgina Mensa mentioned that there are forms of um, abuses. I think some of them are related to, are mostly related to women. For example, Verbal abuse is commonly attributed to women where we see that most of the women um, trigger anger from their husbands through verbal abuse. And then probably when it comes to physical abuse, it could be mostly attributed to the men because they may be relatively physically strong and therefore may be tempted to hit the woman. How about financial abuse? Is there anything like even spiritual abuse or emotional abuse and all of that? How do we bring that in? Because someone asked a question that what if the husband, for example, wants sex but wants anal sex, which is not the natural way or the person is asking is it biblical should she go ahead because of submission a large chunk of this has to do also with teaching this is why we counsel that when you are entering the marriage If you are a lady, please pray for somebody who is more spiritually mature than you. 
because you are going to submit. Therefore, if you are more mature spiritually than the man, and yet you have to submit, uh, there's going to be a lot of grief. Now, the different kinds of abuses. Uh, let's just tackle head on this sexual abuse. Where it is like oral sex, anal sex, and unnatural use of your sexual organ, or even sleeping with your wife when she is in her, her menses. It will be good for the two of you during counseling. the counseling to raise these issues up. If it is not tackled at that time, then during the honeymoon, you need to sit down and put the rules in place. Sometimes, yes, it may not come up during the counseling premarital. But you are surprised it has come up after marriage. Then you need to go for post-marital counseling. Seek out the counselor who worked on you and say, Oh, we didn't mention this because it didn't come up. But we have started the marriage and anal sex has come in and oral sex has come in. Please. What shall we do? I want to go biblical and say that the arguments against oral sex, anal sex, and even onan type of sex is that God is interested in what we do in our bedroom. Genesis chapter 38 from verse 8 to 10, Onan slept with his brother Er's wife and decided that the family planning method he was going to use was to spill the semen on the floor. And the Bible says the act was wicked and God killed him too. You can see that the eyes have been made for seeing. The ears for hearing. The feet for walking. Every organ on our body or inside us has a purpose and a right use and a wrong use. The wrong use is the abuse. So if you use oral sex, it's a number one way of getting venereal diseases, sexually transmitted infections into your mouth. And the anal, where you go to the anus, is no better. In fact, it's worse. The purpose of the sexual organ, the male sexual organ, and the female sexual organ is 
easily defined because they enter into one another in a way that you can see they were made for each other. You can't just try putting your sexual organ into somebody's ears and say because you enjoy it, the person should enjoy it. So, please, talk about it before the marriage. If you don't, then seek counsel after the marriage. If you want to fear God, you do what is right. Uh, the other forms of abuse, yes, emotional abuse. You can do things which stretch your partner emotionally and force him or her to become jealous. By the way you are moving closely with the opposite sex, you are not doing anything, but you are doing everything. It can also be an abuse. Then also, there are areas where you are causing psychological torture. You are not beating the person up. But the time you leave home, the time you come up, the, the way you make yourself such that you don't communicate at all with your wife and you use lack of communication to punish her or vice versa. These things the moment you start, you must know that there will be a reaction from your partner. And your partner either closes up or withdraws or fights in violence. And when that begins, then you must know you are heading for a divorce or something worse than divorce. Please, I commented on it last week. May I say it again? Christian marriage is anti-divorce. Please make up your mind when you are entering that it is a lifelong relationship. I am in this to live and die in it. Don't let divorce. For me, this I will divorce. For me, then I go away. For me, when that type of language begins from either spouse, it creates a wedge which gives space to Satan to, to begin to destroy the home for you. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Apostle. There are a few questions here. And please, because of time, dear audience, you can start typing your questions in the chat box if you have any. And we are still answering some of the questions. There's another question here which says, please, I want to know the main causes of divorce. In our world today, as Christians, sometimes 
we know that, okay, the two of us are born again. Yet, we see people who are born again, people in ministry, and then shocking news, I mean, comes out that these people are divorced. You've had, by the grace of God, you've had about 40 years experience in marriage. Glory to Jesus. Um, I can mention some at random and then you will also add. I think we'll be going back and forth if that would help. Like we have been saying, number one is from the way the couple entered into marriage. If they didn't seek mm-hmm. the will of God, there are many mm-hmm. things to look at before you decide or you settle for a marriage partner. But the uppermost should be the will of God. And if you ask, how do I know the will of God? Well, that is a basic question for every Christian. Uh, the point is, my sheep hear my voice. So, the will of God is paramount because it doesn't mean there won't be problems. But even if problems come, you can trace it back to the God who led you. And that will of God, it's not necessarily a unilateral thing, a vision that you saw, some prophecy, but some other people more mature, people who are mentoring you, who also come into the matter and have their say. Anyway, so the way a barrier is entered into, lack of effective or the right kind of scriptural counseling. Another one, major uh, cause of divorce is character. Character of, of people today and Christians is nothing to write home about. Character is a major cause. Then for finances, sometimes marriage is neither for the rich nor the poor. Anytime you are going to marry, whether you are a man or woman, if you have been taking three places a day or two a day, know that you have to prepare for double of that. And after some time, more than double. Because children will come in, relatives will come in, guests, visitors will come in. So, uh, how to handle your finances, how to earn money, both spouses, and how to use the monies and greed and covetousness, all of that. Then Satan himself is also a major cause. Satan and his demons, they can resist especially Christian marriage. So there are some cases when there's no fruit of the womb, whether it's from the man or the woman. And sometimes ability of either of the spouses to be sexually viable. I remember one elder in our church. Uh, after several years of marriage, there was no child. And he wanted to divorce the wife. So he was trying to find ways to do it. And when we heard it, we said no. Since we were more senior pastors, we wanted to handle the case. So we invited the two of them to our house. And myself and my wife, we took time, we spoke to them, 
My wife knelt down before the gentleman. He still went ahead and divorced. I remember another occasion. These were family friends. They had been married for 30 years. And the man was accusing the wife of witchcraft. They came here. We did everything. The man went right ahead and divorced. Some of the cases are so bad. The men take pictures of their wives in the bedroom and show it in court to secure divorce. And then there have been deliverance cases. There have been cases where the real problem leading to the divorce is just that there are spiritual marriages, issues from family cases. And when we take the couple through it, there is so much peace in the home. They themselves are surprised they were quarreling earlier. So, like my wife has listed, we, we put down over 25 to 30 causes of divorce among Christians. And the bottom line is that if any man or woman is taking somebody to the altar and you are vowing before God, then you need to respect the God you have vowed to. There are things I don't complain about concerning my wife. We've been married almost 40 years now. I have never criticized my wife's food. Why? It's intentional. I don't want to use too much salt, too much pepper, or no salt, no pepper to destroy my home. Whatever she puts before me, I just eat and I go ahead. I'm not on this earth to eat. She does good meals. And so if there's a day the meal is not so nice, I'm, I'm okay. I just go ahead. Life has more to offer than that. I don't fight with my wife about things like what color she should paint our bedroom or, you know, the kind of cloth she's wearing. I don't use those things because we have more important things to live for, to die for, to account for. Sometimes when I sit on cases leading to divorce, I'm like, why? You are wasting each other's lives. You are each other's throat for this. You are born again, bought by the blood of Jesus. Is this what you are fighting about in your home to divorce? Is it sensible? Can you appear before God on judgment day and say, I divorced my wife because of this? Are you thinking? Are you correct? And you woman too. Is this the reason why you left the house? Are you okay? 
Do you know you were bought with the blood of Jesus? Can you divorce for such a, a, a flimsy excuse? And you are happy with yourself. And then some pastor officiates another wedding for you. Why? If heaven cannot trust you when you swore the first time to marry a woman and keep her till death, what makes any pastor on earth think that your second vow to another woman, you will keep it? All the research shows that second marriages last, last less than first marriages. Third marriages are even shorter than the first and the second. Once you can't keep a vow to God, not even angels or human beings, can, not even Satan can trust you. When they heard that, Matthew chapter 19, verse 10 to 12, the apostles told Jesus, if the case of a man and his wife is like this, it's better not to marry. And that is true. If you think you can't keep your marriage vow, why do you enter married? Why do you fall in love? You see? If you can't keep a marriage vow, who are you fooling? Is it God or yourself? You see? You sleep with a woman, you go to the altar and take 30 minutes to remove the veil. Meanwhile, you have already slept with her. Who are you fooling? Is it God or, or the devil or yourself? The Christianity of today makes it sad that divorce is easy. Remarriage is easy because, you know, you just do what you want and you will get some pastor in some church to bless your second marriage without even asking how the first one went. Why? Why? If the case is like that, then don't enter the marriage. Because you know you can't keep the vow. And when you divorce, stay divorced. Stay divorced so that everybody can know that, okay, you tried the first one, it didn't work, you don't want to go in again. We have made Christianity such that it has become a laughing stock. You know, you see a pastor dragging a pastor's wife to court before unbeliever judges insulting each other, disgracing each other before unbelievers. Is that where we have got to with the church? After taking communion, we go and do that type of thing in front of them. Little wonder they don't respect the church for anything. Nobody wants to consult the church for anything sensible because of the picture we are painting of the church. Well, those are my Thank you so much, Apostle. These are real truths that if we accept to follow and decide to accept it as it is, it will save us. They are just like medicine. Amen. There was a question in the chat box. He was asking, how prepared is the church? How prepared is the church to take up biblical marriage counseling? I was discussing with Pastor Selassie 
Mawenyega today that we would want to set up a marriage and family life school. A one-week school for teaching, training in marriage and family life. Then, for marriage counselors, just training marriage counselors and releasing them into the, the churches. I am ashamed as a churchman to say that we train doctors for the hospitals, lawyers for the courts, engineers, we train teachers for the classrooms. But parenting, which determines tomorrow's generation and the future of the church, is seldom taught. And because of that, we all struggle. So my prayer is that God will help us to find a competent team to bring this to the churches so that we can train marriage counselors and train marriage and family life sessions so that it's not only random premarital counseling which is done spasmodically. Some of them there is not even a syllabus. And we leave the people to their homes and expect them to stay in marriage for 40, 50 years with no training. So my that's my response. I think as a church, uh, we have been a little asleep on the training in that field. So may God help us. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. And then one last question here. Apostle, please, for those of us who are already married, probably we didn't know about these truths. And we have come to realize that even when it comes to sex in marriage, we could be abusing sex. For example, you explained rightly um, oral sex, anal sex, and all of those um, unnatural sex. And through teaching, we have come to realize that probably it is one party that is here listening, or even both. Or there's someone who is already married, and the person has not gone through all the right processes. And therefore is really facing so much challenges just at the verge of divorce. One of the practical questions that came was that um, even the man says it abruptly that he doesn't want the woman anymore. Go, um, there have been family meetings, church council has come in, he has gone ahead to file for divorce. Um, we've, we have heard it already that the main issue here, submission from the woman and then the man coming 
into to love. What practical steps, please, would you help us put in place in the midst of all this? Yes, we have accepted that we didn't do it right. We haven't been doing it well. What are the practical steps that we can put in place so that we can prevent or reduce divorces in our homes? Thank you. I want to lay down five which have worked for me as a pastor over the years. Number one, prayer and fasting never fail. God listens to prayer. And Luke 18, 1, Jesus said, men ought always to pray and not to faint. So, I would advise the first step to be prayer fasting. Just go to God, seek his face, fall on the ground before him, weep before him. Hezekiah, God told him he would die. And when he wept and turned his face to pray, God gave him 15 years more. The same God is alive. He can save any marriage. Number two, with the women, I have found out that submission works. Submission works. I can tell you story after story that in my counseling the men did not want to even see the women but when submission came in something broke inside the men and they got the women back. So with women if if it is the man who wants the divorce, submission works. If it's the woman who wants the divorce, if the man still loves the woman, but is the woman who wants the divorce, in many cases, well, I may be wrong because it's not a statistic, but in many cases, I have found that sometimes it is because something has happened which has made the woman's heart just leave the marriage. And I advise the men that you married this woman. The way you wooed her before she saw other men and agreed to marry you, you can woo her back again. If you want. And it works. Because a woman is wooable. First Peter 3, 7 says, Husband, leave you your wives according to knowledge and understanding. Because they are the weaker vessels. Treat them with honor. So that your prayers be not hindered. So, I use both. 
That's my second step. If it's the woman, submission works. If it's the man, love works. You can, you can love your wife back. Because you will But the third step I have noticed is those marriages we have had to save under difficult circumstances have been cases where we, the party entry, have taken the blows. We have entered as peacemakers and endured the blows from both sides until their bitterness, their hurts, their hatred, everything has come out. Because most times when the communication breaks down and the divorce is uppermost, nobody has been listening to the other. So there is always a need for people who are prepared to pay the price to take each person aside, listen to the couple, let them pour out everything, their head, bitterness and everything, and begin the healing from that end before attempting to bring both together. Otherwise, it never works. It never works. But if you are able to take the two apart and listen to them and work on them before bringing them together. That too works. And I have mentioned some of the cases we sit through the night. Sometimes we kneel before them. Sometimes we beg them. We weep with them. But some people are just determined to divorce. We have had cases when my wife and I just failed. We did everything in our power to stop them, but we failed. But the good thing about that is when the people separate or divorce, whatever it is, and each person remains unmarried for a long time, then you don't give up because there is still hope. But when there is a divorce and immediately one party goes to marry, they carry the case out of your hands and make it impossible for us to help. Yeah, those are the ones I want to to raise before you. If there is a divorce, no matter how bad it is, help the two to stay unmarried, listen to the grievances, work on them. Sometimes it takes some time, but they can still be brought back if they haven't married. And we have amazing testimonies of people who went back and there is peace. It also works. Yes. But if they hurry up and marry, they, they lock all of us out. Yes. Thank you. 
Thank you too, Apostle. And um, please, is there any condition at all under which Christians can divorce? This is a critical question that has come up again. And then another um, question is that some people don't understand why they must take their issues to a counselor who is equally as human with all their marital issues as theirs. How would this change? Okay, let me answer the last one first. Why do they go to the hospital? Why do they go to the police station? The police are equally human. The doctors are equally human. You see, one thing you should understand as a Christian is God was speaking face to face with Moses. But it took Jethro to teach Moses how to organize Israel. God was speaking face to face with Moses. And God told Moses, you will not enter Canaan. But Joshua, who was to lead the people into Canaan, God told Moses to lay his hands on him in public and put his honor on Joshua. Look at Eli. God definitely wanted Eli out of the way. In fact, the curse on Eli and his household, I don't know of any other Bible curse as bitter as that. But it was Eli who taught Samuel how to be a prophet. He mentored Samuel. So you need to understand that as a Christian, you are not alone. God never bought any Christian alone with the blood of Jesus on the way to heaven. He bought the body of Christ. You belong to a body. You can't just take your, your hand back and go to heaven on your own. You didn't generate Christianity. So, you live with other members of the body of Christ. And some of them have authority over you. And you too have authority over some. So, if you don't want to be counseled, what do you think of yourself? How big are you? You see, even Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. What makes you think that you are such that you shouldn't take your marriage cases to anybody? If it's working for you, there is no need to... Nobody sees a mechanic running beside a car which is working well. The mechanic is only called when there is problem with the car. You need the doctor in the hospital when you have a problem with your health. So if your marriage is working and working well, then you don't need a counselor. But if you yourself can see that the marriage is not working, it's not working for you, it's not working for the woman or husband, it's not working for the children, why do you say you don't want to be counseled? Is that reasonable? 
Well, under which conditions can a Christian divorce? I put out two. I said number one, Matthew 5.32 and Matthew 19 verse 8. Jesus said, except for fornication. And I explained that it doesn't mean, hey, I've caught my, my wife or my husband reflecting. So I'm divorced. Hooray. No. Church authorities have to come in. We must sit on the case to find out what is happening. Is it that you have denied your husband's sex? Or what, what is the matter? You can't take the, the law into your own hands. Number two is 1 Corinthians chapter 7 from verse 12 to 15. The Bible talks about marrying an unbeliever. This is a situation where you were both unbelievers. One of you became born again. And the second person who is the unbeliever does not want to stay with the believer. And consistently, the church can see that it is not because you have seen a girl in the church you want to marry. So you are trying to push this unbeliever wife away. The human heart is so full of evil. So, we look into the matter. Then when the unbeliever wants a divorce because of your faith and because of her own private reasons, then she can go. In both those cases, the church, the supervising authority for the divorce is also the same authority who should look into whether or not there should be a proper remarriage. And they carry the guilt or exoneration before God on that matter because they allowed it. Now, death is another one. First Corinthians 7.39 says, the widow or widower can marry again in the Lord. So those are the ones I explained. I hope it satisfies you. And I gave examples of madness, mental cases, and so on. And I gave an example of one we had in our church, a mental case for six years. And the woman was completely healed and gone back to the husband. And they are married and, uh, and everything is working. So the church authorities should not be in any hurry to, you know, champion a divorce one minute and the next there is a remarriage. And then the other partner becomes well and you don't know what to do. No, please. Yes. Thank you so much, Apostle. Is there anything like a soulmate? 
And then the last question to add in, in the same direction. Is there anything like God having a perfect person for someone or God doing a perfect match with someone? Yes. Thank you. The term soulmate has not been used in the Bible. But I understand what they mean. Somebody who matches with you. When we say soul, we mean your mind, your emotions, and your will. That is what forms your personality. So, when you meet a spouse who thinks like you do and feels and has the interest in the things you are interested in and also takes decisions and wills things which you can say, aha! So, that is what is normally meant by soulmate. Are there perfect Christian choices according to God's will? Yes, and yes, and yes, and yes. In First Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 to 12, God asked Samuel to anoint a king from the children of Jesse. And when the first one, Eliab, passed before him, he said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. And God said, no, no, no. Don't look on his outward appearance because I've rejected him. Men look on outward appearance, but God sees the heart. Then the second one came and God said, no. Third, no. Fourth, no. Fifth, no. Sixth, no. Seventh, no. And the prophet Samuel said, ah, you have any other child? God has not chosen any of these. And Jesse reluctantly said, well, the last one is with the sheep. And Samuel said, look, send for him. You are not going to sit down until he comes. And when David arrived, the Lord said, arise and anoint him, for this is he. God if you want him to have a say in your marriage, struggle to search for the person who pleases him. That's it. It's wrong as a Christian to think God is not interested in the choice of who you are going to live with for the next 40, 50 years. If he bought you with his blood, and you are no longer your own, and you belong to him, what makes you think that your choice of marriage partner is after your likes and dislikes? You see, Rachel was Jacob's beloved choice. But Leah, whom he didn't like, and was planted upon him, is the grandmother of Jesus Christ, not Rachel. 
You can love a girl, but that's not God's will for you. And Christians have to think about it. Isaac and Rebecca is an arranged marriage. Adam and Eve is an arranged marriage. So, love is not the only determinant of whether it is the will of God. You need to seriously seek God's face about your marriage partner. And if you wait until the last minute you are about to marry, you are falling in love, then you say, oh God, is this your will? Father, oh, I want to know your will. You will not get God's perfect choice. It's best to start praying about it long before. And then be sensitive to what he says. Because at the end of the day, when God's choice comes, you won't miss the person. But before I close this session, in Acts 13, 2, the Holy Spirit said during a fast, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work I have appointed them. It was God during a fast who called Barnabas and Saul together in Acts 13. But in Acts 15, from verse 35, they quarreled and separated. And they never came back again to work as a team until they both died. So, the fact that God has called the two of you as husband and wife is no guarantee that if you do not obey the rules and fear God, well, God called us together. So we are stuck together. This marriage will work because God... No, 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 no. You have to work on the marriage even if it's God himself during a fast. Who put the two of you together? God bless you. Father, we thank you for the marriages you have given us. You instituted marriage. Therefore, under your auspices. It cannot fail. It must not fail. It should not fail. I'm asking Father that every home in this nation, every home represented here will experience grace from above. That you will shower fresh grace on the homes. And even those who are entering, that special understanding of marriage and the vows will be given to us. Lord, character issues which will be settled by the knowledge of Jesus Christ will be ironed out. The hand of Satan in every home, Christian home, be broken in the name of Jesus, that the Holy Spirit will have his way and bring peace which passes all understanding. Thank you, Father, because we have prayed in no other name but the name above every name, the name of Jesus.
Amen. Follow JFK Men's Ministries on Facebook and YouTube and invite others to listen to his podcast. You can also access some of JFK Mensa's books and keep up with his ministry at www.jfkmensaministries.org. God bless you.